Welcome, everybody, to episode 41 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Bo Richards, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Dan Humphrey. How are you doing, Dan? Doing good, Bo. Everybody else is doing good as well. Me too. It is a beautiful, beautiful day today in the Northwest. So This is one of those days that is the reason why so many Californians have moved to Washington State. Because when it is nice, it's super nice. Exactly. And when it's nice, I stay inside. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, you know, summer landed on a Tuesday this year, so we'll see how long it lasts. Yeah, no, it is absolutely gorgeous. I might go for, if I can get a chance, I might go out for a walk or something. I actually went for a walk yesterday and uh, burnt my left arm and not my right one, which was really odd. Even though I sprayed sunscreen on myself, it apparently was only 30 proof and not 100 proof. And so <laughs> you got a trucker tan uh, without the truck. Nice. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Yes. And so uh, <laughs> that was fun. Um, before we get fully started, I uh, I thought it would be fun to laugh at the um, on on recording about the uh, the consent pop up that comes up when you record on Zoom. It made me laugh. <laughs> and so anyone who's not um, familiar with Zoom or hasn't noticed this yet, um, we've actually seen other changes over the last few weeks. But if you allow someone to record Zoom, there's a new pop up that if you're not the one recording that says that you're now being recorded by clicking OK, you're consenting to being recorded. And if you would, you know, don't want to record, you can leave the meeting, which is a new thing. Um, makes me makes wonder me if there was a litigious reason for that to be implemented. Like if something happened, somebody got sued or tried to sue and like, OK, we got to throw up this little consent thing. Yeah, I'd be curious to know what uh, what started that all. Maybe I'll have to do, if I have the time, some investigative journalism into that because, <laughs> um, yeah, there's uh, – it makes me laugh that that's a, an issue now. Though it doesn't surprise me. Um, and I think mo- whatever the case, go ahead. I, was just, I think more often than not, there is some sort of reason like that just for the pure fact that – you know, Zoom's got to pay their coders to implement that feature. So if they're going to yep. spend the money on it, there better be a good reason. So I imagine yep. something probably happened. Yeah, I definitely want to know, like, what what Zoom meeting occurred that caused this to come up? Exactly. You know, like, I want to know what that what that one meeting was where they were like, OK, we didn't know there was recording. I, I don't I don't want to say it's like a hope, but it would be funny to me if the meeting was like a recorded zoom meeting and it was one of those like upper level executive men who didn't wear pants and then like stood up. Yeah. Cause there's been like yep. multiples of those were like, for whatever reason, these dudes decide to wear like the upper body suit, but like their underwear and then their junk <laughs> falls out and shit. And I was like, I don't, <laughs> the camera's like, still I didn't camera, know this was re- Yeah. He's like, I didn't know this was recorded. Like I'm suing. Like, Maybe you should fucking wear pants. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't make a habit out of walking around my apartment without pants on that often. Um, my girlfriend listens to this. She'll probably say that that isn't the case. But uh, <laughs> most most of the time I'm fully clothed. It, I I could just leave the house and it would be ex- socially acceptable. And so I don't understand like putting a suit and t- like a suit jacket and a tie and a dress shirt on and then like no pants. <laughs> it just seems weird to me. <laughs> It's probably the thrill of being subversive. Ooh, nobody knows. Oh, wait, now they do. Shit, it's recorded. Yeah. (laughs) 
But yeah, so I definitely wouldn't mind knowing that. My other thought is that it possibly could be, um, you know, there's been some uh, issues over the last year about what teachers are and how, but what and how teachers are teaching students via Zoom. And parents are not getting a, like a, a very up close and personal idea of what it, how it is they're, the teachers are teaching their kids and what they're doing and stuff. And I wonder if, um, there, you know, a lot of parents aren't happy for whatever reason. And I wonder if um, some of those re sessions were recorded and people didn't know. Um, that's possible. Yeah. And yeah, I would and say so, uh, more productive if that's the case. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, I'm not sure how that would work if the teacher starting the Zoom call, then the teacher would have to give control for someone else to record. But I'm sure that there's someone out there who can figure out how to um, fix, you know, there's probably some kind of a workaround for that, I'm sure, um, somewhere. But uh, yeah, that'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to see that um, kind of what caused that uh, that issue. Yeah, because um, now I have to consent to allow you to record, which is funny to me. So, <laughs> which is funny because I had to ask you in the first place to allow me to record. So right. you got to give me permission twice. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, all right, so today uh, we're gonna do a review of a podcast that we both listened to by James Lindsay, um, and the uh, the short title of it is it, the over elite overproduction, or he refers to it as the. Uh, um, bourgeoisie overproduction yeah um it was a uh you had mentioned it was very eye-opening i agree um my mind went in a thousand different directions with this there's so many things that so many directions that we could take this um because of the implications of it and um so maybe we should start if you would and give your you give your brief you know, couple 10 minute whatever breakdown of what you uh what the video was about to you kind of what you noticed from it, like what he was talking about. And then maybe I'll add some things if you missed them or what will probably happen is we'll both sort of be on the same page, but um, give the listeners an idea of what it was the podcast was actually about. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the initial context is important in that, like if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably on the same page as us. And the reason we started the podcast was in part an effort to figure out what the fuck is going on right now, right? The last few years, you can argue a couple decades, but really the last two, three years, um, just the, the societal changes that have been going on have been rapid and they have been, in my opinion, pretty extreme. So mm -hmm. WTF, we're gonna dive into this. You and I are gonna have these discussions and, and see if we can do a little sense making. So with that thought, um, James Lindsay brings up this point that, um, and he calls it the elite overproduction. Um, if you want to get technical and he does a little bit, of course, cause he's James Lindsay, but the, the bourgeoisie overproduction and really just what that means is, um, the overproduction from the university system of highly qualified individuals with no jobs for them to do. And, I like the example that he gave, um, and this might be a couple years old, but it, it still illustrates it well, was for veterinary medicine, right? Mm -hmm. It's a very expensive degree to get. Um, I think he yes. quoted the, the person he had talked to was over 300000 in debt. 
Um, it's, you know, being a vet is tough. Uh, vet veterinarians often joke about medical doctors. Ha, ha, ha. You only have to deal with one species, right? There's a lot to learn if you're going to be a vet. And at that time, with the guy that he was talking to, it was roughly estimated that um, for every 11 people getting a veterinary degree, there's one job. So 10 of those people are not going to have a job in the current marketplace. Now, the reason that's important is when that's the case, it becomes a matter of very simple supply and demand. If the universities are pumping out a whole ton of veterinary medicine uh, doctors, then it's going to devalue that career in the marketplace just because there's so many. And the only way you're going to be able to compete as a vet is to lower your prices because yep. there's going to be vets everywhere. So if you want to get anybody into your clinic, you can have to lower your prices. And now you spent hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on a degree where you're not actually getting paid very well. You're still incredibly in debt, uh, particularly if you venture out on your own. Now you're trying to run a business and all those other things that are incredibly difficult with a you know, super expensive degree that's not paying off. And that's if you're lucky. That's if you, in fact, are able to stand up a veterinary clinic and get yourself some customers and make it work. A bunch of people, they're not either not going to be willing to or they're not going to have the opportunity because obviously there's a lot of expense that goes into starting your own business. They're not going to have any place to work. So now they yep. are slinging coffee as a barista or they're working at Walmart or some other job that to them is going to seem well below them. And, you know, of course, you can, based on their education, make that claim. They're going to be stuck in these jobs with these huge uh, student loan bills and they're going to be pissed. They're going to be very, very resentful. And it's, you know, that's completely understandable. Uh, yes. But then what James goes into is the result of that, because he was he was kind of in and around that himself. He got a, a doctorate in mathematics, so he was in the university system for quite a while. Um, and in talking to his fellow classmates that were getting their um, advanced degrees, knowing that there's not going to be the job opportunities to make it worthwhile, and it, it makes people resentful. Like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm so good. I got this degree. I'm so smart. Uh, and I still can't find a job. Therefore, the system must be messed up. And yeah. And I want to clarify quickly when you say degrees, we're actually talking about advanced degrees, not like a bachelor's. Mm -hmm. um, he, he specifically was referring to like master's, PhD, doctorates, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. I, I, thank you for that, Bo. And I, in fact, if you have more to say on that, please do. Um, because I did not go to college. Um, yeah. Never went to university. Um, and as the years go on, I'm feeling better and better about that decision. But that's just not the, the life path that I took. You did, though. You've been in the system a little bit. So you're going to have a much better inside knowledge of, you know, how the university system works. Uh, True. Yeah. But go ahead and continue. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's that's essentially the gist of it. And that level of resentment from educated people is going to produce, you know, it's going to produce a lot of people jumping online, uh, writing articles that will hopefully get them some clicks so they can make some money. And as it stands right now, the, you know, the hot takes and the clickbaity topics are, 
you know, it's what's going to get you the views. That's what's going to be financially viable if you want to go that route. So it all just feeds back on itself, this resentment towards the system and the desire to take it the fuck down. Yep. So it's not a matter of unintelligent people latching on to this ideology of, you know, critical race theory and postmodernism and all the stuff that we've been talking about, but it's highly educated people that have taken part in and been screwed by the current system. Therefore, they're going to want to get rid of it. I mean, in that sense, I, I can see where they're coming from, but it's not the solution. It's only going to yeah. make things worse. And that's, that's what scares me. You know, I don't see a quick solution to it. It just seems no. like you know, we've at least identified a, a significant piece of the problem. Um, but yeah, it's, it's quite concerning. It is, yeah. It, the, I had a funny image that popped into my head. And um, when I listened to this, and you sort of touched on it a little bit, but what, what comes into my mind is highly educated rejects that f are part of Fight Club, like the movie. Mm -hmm. So like the educated versions of those people sure. who really liked Heath Ledger's Joker. Yeah. That's what I see is a bunch of people who are rejected by society and want to just watch the world burn which was the whole point of Heath Ledger's Joker. But they're also very educated. Yeah. So in like you, you talk about like a Marxist Marxism, um, you know, uh, discussion about the proletariat overthrowing the bourgeoisie and ushering in the utopia and all that kind of stuff. Um, this is sort of a, this is a little bit different because this isn't the proletariat, like the poor working, uneducated working class. This is the educated but still rejected class who was promised a lot of things by their peers, by their parents, by the elite, by the other bourgeois, bourgeoisie who were you know, educated people. And then none of those promises were delivered. And they're like, well, fuck it. I'm going to be the Joker. Yeah. You know, and I'm just going to, or, or, you know, I'm going to be Tyler Durden. I'm just going to blow civilization to kingdom come. And that latter part is, is slightly hyperbolic. I, I, there, I don't think that there are, I actually don't think that there is a large percentage of people who are resentful, who truly do want to watch the world burn or want to burn things down. I, I, you know, we've talked a lot about how it's a very loud minority. Um, and I, I think that this holds true here. I think it's, there's a percentage that probably is larger than in the general population, but a percentage that actually does want to watch the world burn. It wants to literally overthrow say capitalism in this case. But, um, I think a lot of them are just like, fuck it. Like, what do I have to lose? And you hit the nail on the head. It's like people coming out of college with $200,000 in debt, or in this case, say animal veterinary, uh, an animal veterinarian, they're coming out with $300,000 in debt. I think what he, would be even worse is like someone coming out of um, a PhD program with a doctorate in English and $200,000 in debt, where there is, and the reason I think it's worse is because it's about equivalent in terms of debt, but there's no clear job to do. Like yeah. within, you, you, you get a, a doctorate in v veterinary care, like, you don't go sell used cars. Like 
there's not really a translation there. Right. You don't just get a job at, you know, Deloitte or KPMG or whatever, like, and starts, you know, or get a job working for um, some kind of a stockbroker. Like, there's like zero translation. Yeah. You you go and you you work on animals. That's kind of what you do. <laughs> Someone with like an English. You care about living things. Therefore, the stock market is not for you. <laughs> yeah, but like someone with an English degree, like you're kind of stuck being a teacher or you got to find ways to make that degree work. Yep. And it in that's actually it's also not a lucrative. Like it doesn't it's not scalable. Like that's the other problem is that it there isn't really a scalable way to apply a humanities degree. That's actually, that's the problem with the humanities. One, yeah. one of the problems is that they're not scalable jobs. You can overproduce veterinarians and then the cost goes down because of economics. But if you're good, you can get a job and continue to perform. Like There's only so many spots available for educators and educators are paid shit money. And it doesn't matter how good you are, you're paid shit money. Like there's no... It, it, it's a little bit different and everyone's jumping into the tech sector because if you are good at coding, you can do one thing that helps a billion people and then you could, that's scalable. Right. You know, you don't really, one educator is not going to help a billion people period. We don't have the technology for that yet. We're getting there, but it, like, it's, it's a hard problem. And so you have all these people who are like, they feel entitled um, and no one really gives a fuck in the real world. <laughs> um, which makes them that much more resentful. Yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> sure. But it, it's kind of one of those, it's, it's a weird dichotomy. It's like, cause I, you know, par- partially went through this. I, I didn't have this, the same, uh, rejection that a lot of people have had, but, um, and I mentioned this on the podcast, but I was I was a first generation college student. I was the first person in my family to go to college. And my mom was adamant from when I was like eight. It's like the earliest memory I have is like eight, maybe nine. And um, my mom was like, you're going to college. Like, I don't I don't care. You're going to fucking college. And, you know, she she was very serious about this. And I went through a period in my teens where, like, I kind of sc- screwed off a little bit. My early teens, late, uh, like, 12 to 14, that kind of thing. And screwed off a little bit. And she was furious. She was like, you need to get your shit together because pretty soon colleges are going to care about your grades. And they're going to care about your behavior. Because when I was in school, it was freshman year on. So high school, freshman year to senior year is what they cared about. Now they care about, like, everything. Um, You know, I've actually heard legitimate stories where, like, kids, like, young teens, like 12, 13, 14-year-olds do something. And then colleges find out about it and they get in trouble. They don't get into colleges because of it. Um, And it's like, you're not allowed to grow, like, through test, you know, through puberty. Like, but anyways, I digress that. Um, So, like, I went to, you know, I was, for me, it was like, you're going to go to college because you will get a better job. That was part of it. She's like, I didn't, I wanted you, me to go so that I could get the proper education to get a better job and to elevate myself um, into a position where I could make better money and live a more comfortable life. And, um, you know, my family's always been on the lower income side of things. And for um, my, you know, my mom and my grandma and my aunt and stuff, they didn't have large amounts of money. And 
as a single mom, my mom didn't make much money at all when I was really young. And, um, and so that was important. And she knew I was smart enough to do it. And I just needed to work hard. I think for a lot of, for many generations, your generation, because you're technically a generation behind me. Yep. Um, Gen X. And I think the generate, yeah. And I think the generation prior to you, even um, on up to the generation after me. And then I think there's one after that now because I'm getting old. Um, all of them have been fed really since the 70s, this idea that you need to go to college to make more money to move into the middle or the upper upper middle class or the elite. I mean, it's going to depend, of course, on a myriad factors. But if you want to move out of the working class, go to college. That is sewn into the American dream that you and I yes. grew up with, at least. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I could we could look into this and I would not be shocked if that actually originated out of um, very shortly after the civil rights movement. I would not be shocked if within a decade of the civil rights movement, um, that's that was the push. It's like, okay, we, we have what seems to be at the time and according to a, a good number of people now, it was, it was a facade, but what seemed to be at the time was um, a very large push towards equality. Um, next step is educational equality. How do we get more people in the upper echelon with knowledge to do higher paying jobs. And that's a, that's a lot of a goal. It's like, how do you do that? Get people into the colleges. But you mentioned the issue of if there's 11 people who get a degree for every one job, that's a basic, that's a, that's a basic economic problem. Yeah. You have a supply and demand problem. And, and like you said, the, the solution is not to destroy supply and demand, which would be to destroy capitalism like that. Um, and that, that seems to be a, a pretty loud, though I think a, a minority call is like, okay, well, if supply and demand is off, then we just should eliminate supply and demand. And it's like, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> <I don't. laughs> For a whole bunch of reasons, no. <laughs> but whatever the case, I, I think that a legitimate issue is, and we're not even going to talk about what's actually being taught and the expenses of how uh, the expense of going to college. We just talk about the people that are going to college. Yeah. Call it people who've gone has increased. Um, not only just number because our population has increased, but the number of people relative to the population has increased. And undergraduate has actually declined over the last 10 years. Um, I think it's down like 5%. But if I remember correctly, compared to like the number of people who went to the uh, say undergraduate uh, college in uh, the seventies versus the total population. It's still higher. And, um, and just uh, clarify so for me. Have, so undergraduate, that's like associates and bachelors. It, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll say bachelors, okay. but, um, but yeah, associates and bachelors and then post baccalaureate, um, or would be like your master's, um, your, your PhD, your doctorates, and then any other, um, certificates that would require like a bachelor's to attain so okay. some like some teaching certificates you need a bachelor's to actually do the certificate and so it's like a truncated master's program oh, okay. um, so you don't technically get conferred a master's i think you just get like a certificate to teach math in school or special education or um critical race or whatever um so I think you can actually get a certificate in that and you can teach that but um or ethnic studies i think is what it is Lovely. but um, okay yeah but uh, you have four or five generations and they're told like the way to one of the ways to grow economically, to move up in a class, to live a whatever a better life may be, presumably with more money is to go to college first. And so the first generations who did that actually saw that achieved. Yeah, like, it, they were very successful. You know, uh, um, I know someone personally uh, who um, 
went to co- went to college in the uh, I think graduated in like 1980. And from what I understand, just from hearing stories from him, he was an average student at uh, Wazoo. So uh, for all intents and purposes, a, a middling college like Washington State University is not known for its academics. Yeah. Um, it's known for parties, the parties and the number of cows in the city, you know, and so like. <laughs> Because uh, it's it pastures and stuff, and there's only college students, and it's like, and he graduated as like an average student, maybe even slightly below, and he was a high level sales manager for a large um, engine company for like 30 years, and is extremely successful because hmm. he worked hard, yeah. and he didn't need to be an, a straight A student in order to to do that. He just figured shit out and co- had fun in college, fumbled up a bit, and then worked hard when he got out. But you can't really do that anymore because everyone does that. And so when you have 11 people applying for the same job, if they're all overqualified and you're the one who fucked off in college, then you definitely don't get the job. And then the other 10 out of the 11 don't get the job for arbitrary reasons that we can't even hope to consider. And so I think we have a... They use the wrong pronouns. Yeah, or whatever, you know, whatever the case is. It's like it's whatever your quote unquote culture is for the company. Like that's going to be an easy to, you know, James Lindsay talks about that a bit. He's like, it's it's pretty easy to just say, here's our culture, quote unquote culture. And we want these kinds of things. And we can eliminate half the applicants because we don't without even needing to look at their their resumes. Yep. Because they don't meet that requirement. And since it's not an illegal issue, it's not a, like a discriminatory issue, um, and nor do I think it should be, but uh, it's in this case, it's not, you can just cut everything in half. And if you have 200 applicants, now it's 100, and now it's way more manageable. That's still a lot, so you got to do more. But um, yeah, I think that after like two generations of that, and all those people are working, and they're successful, and they're filling the successful roles because they work hard, they take risks, Um in the 70s and the 80s in particular, you could take risks and f- and not drown. Like, you could not drown, right? Because a lot of millennials, a lot of the complaints, you know, they're living at home because they can't afford to live anywhere after school. They don't get, they get jobs that pay shit. They can't afford rent everywhere. And so they live at home until they're in their 30s. And they're afraid to take risks. Why? Because if they lived on their own, they took risks, they'd be homeless. Yeah. And that wasn't the case for... You know, prior generations. And so they were able to take these kinds of risks. They could still afford to live places, you know, um, and and then those risks allowed them to do better in life because you have to take risks in order to succeed. It's it's a fundamental part of if you want to be a lead at something, you have to take risks. Yep. You have to work really hard and you have to actually get better and better. But part of getting better and better is taking risks. It's pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone and doing things that you're that are slightly beyond your ability to do. Yeah. And sometimes you might actually have to push beyond your ability and fail and then calibrate and try again. But if every time you do that, you don't make rent or you don't have the Internet or you don't you're not able to feed yourself or like all these kinds of things. Or you, you have those kinds of failures that are so drastic at a young age that it you, you crawl back inward um, and you're afraid to take chances, then it's no wonder. And then you add on top of that the fact that my generation and the generation after mine, the gen whatever's gen Zers or whatever they are, are more medicated, more prone to anxiety, more prone to d- depression, more likely to commit suicide or attempt suicide, more, more likely to have ADHD, more likely to, to be prescribed any kind of medication for any kind of issue whatsoever than like every generation prior. 
this is like the most risk averse generation, two generations like that's ever existed. Yeah. You know, um, prior to like our, our proto ancestors who had to be risk averse because they just died when they jumped out of trees and landed on the ground, you know? Well, even then though, they still had to, I mean, you have to go, we're going after this lion, damn it. One of us might not make it back, but we're all hungry. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And so it's like, we have these generations right now where, you know, you talk about safe space generation, helicopter parenting, all this kind of shit. I, I, James Lindsay didn't really touch on any of this stuff. This is the direction that I went with it is I'm thinking about all these other tangential things that I, I think come into play here. You have a bunch of people who are told from a very young age that if they work hard and go to college, they'll get a good job and they can live comfortably. And so they work hard, they follow rules, they go get a job or they go to college, they get a master's or a PhD, in in particular women and uh, um, people of color, because statistically speaking, for a long period of time, of course, there actually has been inequities there. And so like women outnumber men, like almost 60, 40, or maybe it's like 54, 46% in college right now. Hmm. And in graduate programs, I think it's a little bit higher. And um, so that's actually an issue for men because they're undereducated. We'll see what happens there. And that's a problem for women because they're overeducated with no jobs and they're not making as much. And you can, we can have a discussion about the pay gap and what that means, but there is an actual pay gap. And there's many, many reasons for that. I'm not going to suggest that it's strictly because um, they have vaginas and men have penises. And that's why that there's, there's the the difference. Cause that isn't, I don't think that's an, at all true. I think that that's a part of it, maybe even a big part, but not, not a, a whole part. Um, and so you have these issues here women and minorities are like, go to college, you'll get, you'll make more money. And the numbers are up and there's no jobs. And so they're not making the money. And it's like, well, what the fuck? You sold me a shitty bill of goods. Yep. Well, you know, like, let me ask you this, uh, in the university context and, and with regard to this overproduction, I'm assuming there's gotta be some sort of, of mechanism, whether it's the advisory system or whatever, wherein the universities have their finger on the pulse of the economy. They know what jobs are out there. They know what jobs are in demand. They know what jobs are saturated. And then they can advise based on that information where students should, you know, kind of point their education. Uh, Am I correct in at least assuming that? There's there's something, right? That's what the advisors do? Partly. um, It depends. So I got my degree in English. And I never heard once from an advisor about any jobs that I could do. Um, all right. At all. I, now, to be fair to the advisors, I didn't actively look. Um, I initially wanted to apply for grad school um, and then had to pay bills and uh, didn't study for the GRE and did very badly on it and um, went through a depressive period where I didn't want to do anything with my life. And, uh, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff. And so I probably, I may still go back to school. I don't really have a desire at the moment, but it's something I've always been interested in. I'd love to just get, a an advanced degree to have one. Right. Um, if only we had a time machine, that, you could go to university in like 1980. Yeah. <laughs> get a real education I know. and be able to afford it. Yeah. You know, but I know the business school does that. Um, Construction management is huge with that. Uh, at least it was at this, the, the school I went to um, at, at the UW. Uh, one of the requirements for construction management was you um, 
they almost exclusively when I was there did not let people into the major if they did not have an internship with a construction company lined up the summer before they started the program. So usually you would apply like sophomore or junior year. It, it depended on a few things. There was some requirements, they, some like class requirements they had. And some students actually were able to apply for and get into it as seniors in high school. And, you know, they were on track to go. But because um, most of the, the schools within a, a university will allow you to like you can apply when you apply for college. You can just apply generally. But they usually want you to pick a focus. Like when I applied to the UW, I chose science. I wanted to I wanted to get my degree in chemistry and then chemistry is really hard to do when you're when you're drunk and um, <laughs> and math is really hard to do when you're drunk. And um, for me, writing was easier to do when you were drunk. And so mm. I went into English. Um, it took me years to figure that out. But that was that, and that was mostly my personal failings. I um, had I essentially not drank as much or at all, but drank as much, I probably would have done just fine in, um, in, in, in chemistry or something to that. Yeah. Um, cause I had a proclivity toward, towards it and I liked it, but it's a lot of work yeah. and, uh, drinking is also a lot of work. <laughs> and so I decided that I, I much preferred to experiment scientifically with booze than I did with whatever it is I was doing in chemistry labs. Hey man, and, we're still um, dealing with molecules over here. <laughs> I'll let you know right, my exactly. test results. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I, I found that um, it was much easier for me to, because uh, I also like to write. I just, so I, I used to love to write and do chemistry stuff. I like both. And I had a proclivity towards both. So I like to do a, those things when I was a kid and, and stuff. And I love to read. But I went into chemistry because you make money. So like, well, I can get a job. Yeah. I get a degree in chemistry. I can go get a job that'll make a good amount of money. I had to get a degree in English. I have to at least get a master's to get, to go make shit money at a public school locally. And so, and then I realized that like, well, I have to put in the work and I talked about this a couple, like, I don't know, 30 podcasts ago or whatever, but like, I personally had a big wake up call because I thought that I could skate by in college. Like I could skate by in high school mm. because I didn't need to try very hard in high school. And, um, cause stuff was easy. Yeah. And then in college, that that playing field is fairly leveled, especially in the at least at the time in the sciences. So it was like you couldn't do that. Everyone could do that. So now everyone has to try hard, and a few people maybe don't have to try so, but most everyone has to try really hard. Um, and so that didn't really work out too well for me. And then um, I actually like trying hard with English, and so it was fun to write drunk and then edit it sober. Um, <laughs> I actually really enjoyed doing that. I did not enjoy trying to do chemistry drunk and then figure it out sober. That's really hard. Um, made my head hurt worse. It, but uh, whatever the case, um, so you can apply to to schools within a university, and if you get in, then you're on track. And if you have the grades and the proper requirements, you get in. But um, most of them have some kind of a way to say, hey, this is kind of the job structure. Like I said, construction management, they require, they used to at least, would require an internship over the summer before you start to really start taking the classes. So they know you're serious about it, you like it, that people want to hire you because they don't want to have a bunch of construction management majors who no one wants to hire. Yeah. <laughs> You know, because like, this is a feeder. Yeah, the UW construction management program is a feeder school for all the local construction companies, mm. like all the big companies that build all the shit in the area in this greater Seattle area. Like it's all feeder from UW, not all exclusively, but like the, the the teachers who teach construction management program, they actually run the companies. 
and they do it at night. They come in and teach at night and give them real world problems. And a lot of the business programs are like that too. Like they have a lot of business um, teachers who come in. Um, the uh, The law program, I think, is very similar. They have a lot of uh, local lawyers and prosecutors and litigators and defense attorneys and whatever else is who come in and teach partially night classes or maybe during the day when they can to give people real world examples. And so they have they, they need to know that the knowledge I'm giving you is not going to be wasted. Yeah. You know, and so there is some of that. But I think, honestly, the colleges have done a very bad job at gatekeeping. And, you know, what is it? Uh, administrative costs in colleges have ballooned like 300 or like 3000 percent or some shit like wow. there's been like a crazy ballooning of of administrative costs across, across colleges like nationally for the last like 10 years it it's so expensive so they're following and the u.s so they, government lead then i take it correct and, and that's why that's why debt is so high your student loan debt is so high is because someone has to pay it and like this is a slight tangent um, but I'm going to rant for a second. This is the problem that I have when everyone talks about doing all of these things to like help the poor that don't ever actually help the poor. The reason that the poor always get fucked over whenever stuff is done by the government is because someone has to pay for it. And rich people are not going to pay for it because they have the means to not pay for it. And so it just gets schlepped onto the poor people. And if you need an example of that, you just look at college students. It, the cost to go to college is ballooned because the cost to run a college is ballooned. And so who pays for it? Broke-ass college students. Like, yep. This is just a simple example, a parallel of what happens. Like, This is how the economy runs. If you try and subsidize everything so that poor people get helped, the poor people pay for it because to subsidize it, people have to pay taxes. And the poor people are, or the rich people are going to pay them. And then poor people are paying for their own shit. Which actually isn't helping them. <laughs> Which would also de-incentivize quality advice with regards to yeah. one's uh, potential future career. It's like, look, if they're paying their tuition, yeah, you can be a vet. You got a friend who wants to be a vet? Can they pay their tuition? Bring them on in too. Uh, yeah. So here's part of the issue, though. Um, so... And James Lindsay mentioned something tangentially related when he talked about he thinks that about 50 percent of people in college probably shouldn't be there, not because they weren't qualified, like intellectually, even though he thought that a large percentage of them weren't. And I think that's probably actually correct um, because they didn't need to be. It wasn't what was best for them. Yeah. And like you said, you didn't go to college. I don't I've never once thought that you were stupid because you didn't go to college. Thanks, I man. think you're a very student. I think you're a very student, intelligent individual. But you even said that wasn't your path, and that's totally fine. Not everyone who's intelligent needs to go to college, and not everyone who goes to college is intelligent. I knew plenty of dumb fucking people in college. There were people in college who I was like, how the fuck did you get in? <laughs> and I'm sure that there were people my freshman year who were like, how the fuck did this guy get in? Because I almost flunked out of college. And it just took me a while to figure shit out. And then I, I got my act together and managed to, to pull myself through. And I did, I didn't even do as well as I knew I could have. And I did way better than I was doing freshman year. And I knew that, I know that if I went back now, I would do drastically better. Because a lot of it's effort. Some of it's intelligence, a lot of it's effort. Most of it, I think, is effort. But you have, 
I lost my train of thought. Um, well, I'll, I'll point out at least what I've heard anecdotally, that aspect right there is one of the most valuable takeaways from a college experience is getting your shit together and working hard, particularly yeah. for someone such as yourself where the normal school stuff wasn't difficult. Uh, so yeah. now we're actually going to challenge you. There's going to be an adjustment period because you've never had to be challenged before. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that, you know, learning that lesson, aside from any English you may have learned, that lesson itself is going to prepare you for life more than, you know, reading Shakespeare. So. No, very true. And, and I think that there are a lot of different ways to learn that lesson because people learn, people gravitate towards different things because they have different interests. Yeah. Um, and so, you, you know, that creates, if there's one cookie cutter mold and you go to college and that's what it is, then all of a sudden, if that's not for you, you're going to, you're going to not only be soured on that, but you're not going to be prepared. Yeah. And um, what were we talking about before I lost my train of thought? Because I uh, I have a lot on the tip of my tongue, but I can't. Um... Oh, I'm I'm on the tangent with you. Um, I don't recall. I'll throw out a more I... tangent, and maybe it'll pop up. But I think in general, young adults need to do something fucking difficult. Yes. Whether it's, you know, something that you're whether it's a sports program when you're a teenager, whether it's going to college, whether it's trying to start your own business, you know, whatever it is, you need to do something that's really difficult and let life slap you around a bit just to get a sense of what the real world is like when you we get yeah. out from or under the wings of your parents and you're out on your own making your way. Uh, you have to have that experience. Otherwise, yes. life will foist that experience upon you in a manner that potentially could, you know, fuck you up for the rest of your life or make it at the mm -hmm. very least make it way more difficult to get by than it could have been had you, you know, figured that out earlier. Um, yeah. So I think and, and that's at least that's what college used to be about partially. Um, again, yes. all the no, very, very true anecdotal, anecdotally, all the college grads I would talk to, uh, more often than not, that's the takeaway that they got out of college rather than whatever it was they happened to study, but it, it's learning to get focused, to work hard, to, you know, do stuff that may or may not seem fair, but you just do what you got to do mm -hmm. to get a job done. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think we're losing that with this, this new educational system yep I, okay I, I remember at least part of okay. where, where we the tangent we'd lost so um it was the gatekeeping issue mm. so what you have is with rising education the, the rising costs to run an administration a college the only way to pay for that is to charge more but you can't just keep the number of students in a college uh, stagnant or, eat, uh, or the same and then charge them exorbitant amounts you need to add more students, otherwise the students that are there won't pay. Right. So you, you have to, and that'll actually give you more money because you'll charge more and you'll have more students, right? Um, and then you factor in a slight uh, a tangential uh, uh, issue, which is allowing foreign students to come in and pay even more money because that's a, that's a whole nother issue. Right. Um, yeah. It's foreign exchange students who pay about double or triple the cost to come to college, um, and we can get into that in a second because it actually runs into the. Uh, 
we run into another problem here. And we saw this at Harvard, and we can talk a bit about that. But so you have this gatekeeping issue of um, they're hiring more administrators. And some of the administrators may be necessary. Most I don't think are. Um, we can go into the diversity, equity, and inclusion administrators <laughs> and how much they're getting paid to do shit. Um, and how there's like eight or nine or 10 of them. And there, there's millions of dollars being put into these these programs that don't, it, it's not really clear what they do or how their money is spent. But I don't want to, I don't want to digress into that too much because I don't know a lot about it. Um, but there are, it's clearly documented that there's administrative costs have just ballooned dramatically. So you bring in more students and you charge more. And then you push this narrative of go to college and you'll get a better job. And then there aren't enough jobs for the students. And there's all these students in schools who are told that they're going to go to the schools. And then once they're done, they'll get a good job. And then they're, they're in debt. And the education is going to that they're getting is actually going to not be as good because there's more students. So the actual ratio, a teacher to student ratio is less or higher. It's, it's a larger ratio. So there's more students per, per teacher. Um, and so there's not much alternative but to go to graduate school and hopefully you get a better job. And so the same problem happens in graduate school. And so the gatekeeping just kind of falters. And the gatekeeping that's being done is nowadays in particular is uh, not the kind of gatekeeping that I would say is necessary. Um, and you kind of touched on this. I forget exactly what you said, but um, the gist of your question was like, basically, how do we regulate who should go to college and who shouldn't? Yeah. And that's the actual gatekeeping question, I think, that needs to be asked very seriously and answered <clears throat> with careful precision because it's a dangerous question. Um, and the reason it's dangerous is that you think about um, in medieval times, the only people who were educated, knew how to read were the ruling class and the peasants were forbidden. They were murdered for reading, for learning how to read. And so that, that's like the slippery soap fallacy where I, I run down this long, long train of only certain people can get educated. It automatically becomes the wealthy class. So you have to be careful with that question of who do you educate? You have to allow everyone to get educated, but you have to be selective on how you do it. And nowadays in particular, you have to be selective in a way that does not exacerbate already um, already pretty large racial disparities. And I think that's, that's actually a fair request to make. It's like if, if African-Americans, as an example, really are um, so far behind whites in education you don't want to put in a policy that just makes that worse by default. Yep. It's like, okay, you want to fix that problem. Um, from what I understand, the actual number of 18 to 24-year-olds enrolled in college, um, the percentage of uh, ethnic population is almost equal between whites and blacks. I think it's like 38% of African-Americans between the ages of 18 and 24 are enrolled in college, and about 41% of whites are. Um, I think it's like 36% of Hispanics are, and um, 62 or 68% of um, Asian ethnicities are enrolled. And so, um, so it, it's actually, from that regard, college enrollment is actually if you take that one statistic and you would, should take more to make sure it's more accurate, but it, it's fairly even, but there's so many more whites than everyone else that you get an over of white people in right. college, of course, because we are 75% of the population. Um, so how do you answer that question? That's the first thing is how, because I think you should get keep, you can't just tell everyone to go to college and then have no jobs for them because then you have this resentment. You literally have a bunch of overeducated um, 
Baristas. As James, yeah, as James Lindsay called them, overeducated fuckheads. Yep. But, um, <laughs> which I thought was great. But you have a bunch of overeducated people who were told, hey, if you follow the rules and do this, you'll get a good job. And then well, the, the system was like, hey, guys, fuck you. And it's like, I don't blame them for being angry to some degree. Yeah. Um, the other problem, and Harvard saw this, is that um, how do you do proper gatekeeping and help people get jobs? Um, it's similarly related is that you have um, 62% of, let's say, in this case, Asians are, uh, of, from 18 to 24 are enrolled in college. So they, their um, percentage of their total population, ethnic population far outstrips everyone else. Um, they work way harder, period. They just work harder. Yep. That's documented. Um, there's apparently studies have shown that the actual amount of work that the average um, uh, Asian student in high school or in college puts in for school is the equivalent of 15 IQ points. Ooh. Which may not seem like a lot of IQ points, but that's the difference between being a B student in college and a C student in high school. Yeah. It's also the difference between being a B student in college and winning a... Nobel Prize in physics, because there have been plenty of people who've won Nobel Prizes in physics and math who've had IQs of like 135, 130 to 140, and the average, uh, a good college student has an IQ of like 125. And that and that's now there have been good. people who, yeah, yeah, that's, that's actually that's well above the, the average. The average yep. is 100, yep. and so these are like exponential differences, not just small number differences, right? Right, right. and so. You know, there have been plenty of people who've won Nobel Prizes who had IQs of 150, 60, 200, whatever. But there have been just as many people who work really fucking hard and are just slightly above average. They're in the top 90th percentile, not the top 99th. Right. Right. And so that's the difference. It's like 85th percentile and 90th percentile. And so there's huge differences there. And so these people, these people, sorry, uh, Asian culture values working really hard with education. And so they're getting a massive leg up. They all enroll in school and then Harvard gets sued for discriminating against Asians. Yep. They were successfully they were successfully sued because they were actually discriminating against Asians because they did way better than everyone else and there wasn't enough black and latinos in Harvard. It's like now you have a problem because this one demographic does too well and you know so you have to censor them in order to allow for other demographics who aren't doing as well to, to get in. And that's not the kind of gatekeeping we should be doing. Well, no, it's, it's, all. it's not in line with reality. I mean, the, no. the cold, the, the cold hard facts are that not all cultures are equal in all aspects for everyone. It's yep. just not the case. Uh, uh, uh Typical Asian culture, we'll say like, you know, the, the Koreans and Chinese and, you know, we think of Asian, uh, or you probably even just say that, well, no, I don't think AIP might be a little bit broad, but the, the well-developed Asian cultures, the value on hard work is so much more than, you know, we see in the, uh, in the United States where there's more of a cultural emphasis on freedom and being your own person. And that has its own values, don't get me wrong. But in the objective yeah. results, the cold hard numbers, regardless of how you feel about anybody involved, show very clearly that that culture 
produces success in an educational environment. You can't yeah. argue that. And to lie about that, especially from an institution that's supposed to be educating people, uh, but to lie about that and say that every culture is equal on all fronts does a disservice to everyone because the Asians yeah. get discriminated against because they they were taught to work super hard, which is very effective in an educational environment and most other environments. And other cultures value other things that are not as relevant or maybe not relevant at all in that educational environment. Not to say that they're not valuable, but we're talking about a very specific environment with very specific results. And if you're going to go you know, deep, deep, deep into debt to partake in this educational system, you might want to embrace the cultural values, regardless of where the fuck you were born, those cultural values and apply that to that system. But yep. instead, we're bullshitting everybody and discriminating against the people that are working hard and propping up the people that don't work as hard and saying, that's okay, you don't have to be on time, you don't have to fucking worry about spelling or, or whatever nonsense that they're telling them. And then they underperform and try and blame it on the educational system or on society itself. It's, like I said, it does a disservice to everyone involved. It's fucking ridiculous. Yes. And the end result of that is as a country, we are be, we are becoming we have become much less competitive on the global scene because the other yes. culture like south korea insanely competitive educational system and 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 the job market insanely competitive you need to fucking show up and work hard you know uh, to to throw the jujitsu analogy it's the difference between uh, showing up at a real laid back gym and learning some jujitsu and rolling on into the DDS and trying to roll with the guys, you know, mm -hmm. roll with Gordon and Nikki and thinking that you're going to hold up, you know, you're going to get rolled over by the blue belts because that's their gym culture and it produces predictable results. It's it, yep. having nothing to do with anybody's genetics. It just so happened that the Asian cultures are that way. They value work in that in in that way. They have that value for it. Therefore, it plays out in an educational environment. It's it it's very objective. Yes, and what it like you said, it hurts everybody. And so now now we're in this situation where not only is there just literal discrimination against uh, peoples of color, um, though depending on who you ask or depending on what has occurred in the in the news recently. Um, I mean, six months ago. Asians were considered white adjacent and basically white. Yep. And I'm actually not even making that up. Yep. The mayor of like San Francisco was caught on record as referencing that. And I think she was fired or stepped down as a result, but um, maybe it was like a school, a school board leader or superintendent or something. But um, this is like a, this has been a common refrain for a very long time. Um, and it's been an, unfortunate and inappropriate refrain because of their success. Um, much like Jews get a, a bad rap for this as well because of their how successful they, they tend to be um, as a diasporic tribe or diasporic people. Mm -hmm. And um, and so it, it hurts them, but it also hurts the black and brown community because they not only do they catch heat for this for from all angles because they're 
not getting positions that maybe they're qualified for or they're getting them and they're not qualified, which is that's a whole another problem in and of itself, because it's like people might whether they are or not, people are going to think it. So now you're the diversity, you know, student um, who got here because of affirmative action or whatever. And, and then you have that stigma, which is not easy to deal with. I'm sure like that would that can't be easy. Yeah. But at the same time, you're getting denied opportunities. It's like, okay, so how do you solve these problems? And I go back to the gatekeeping. It's like, if they don't do some kind of gatekeeping, then what's going to happen is our upper elite institutions will be overrun, um, actually, because of educational success by Asian communities, um, by Asian communities, because more of their young kids go to college and they do better than everybody. So it's just a a matter of time. And so... Then there's discrepancy everywhere. So maybe you try and solve that problem. I don't know. Like these are all really, they're odd questions to, to, to ask and try and, and to find an answer for. It's like, I don't know how to solve these problems if there is a way. But, um, and then if there's such a focus on college, then that is the end game. It's like, well, we have to fix college. It's like, well, what if that isn't the only solution? Well, what- to, to, you know, to, 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 up, to mo- uh, um, class mobility, you know? Yeah. Um, What blows my mind is that if you see a group, whatever group, that is significantly and consistently more successful in any arena, we're talking about education. If you see a group that is more successful, how come nobody's asking what they're doing? Oh, they're they're doing, on average, four hours more studying a day. Yeah. Well, instead of trying to make fucking rules and, and, and keeping the Asians out of your universe and all that bullshit, just go, oh, maybe I should study more. Why does this have to be such a separate thing that we yeah. can't just look at that culture and say, oh, they're doing something valuable. Maybe we should emulate that. Or on the flip side, another culture that is consistently performing in a certain way based on their cultural values and not getting the results that they're looking for, that's a clue as well. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe don't value these certain things over your education if your education is, in fact, important to you. And if you want to um, stand by those cultural values no matter what, well, then quit worrying about if you can get an education. Because your mm-hmm. cultural values aren't going to compete in that arena. So yeah. don't bother. Go, you know, do something else. You can live your life doing something else. But if you insist on uh, entering into the competitive educational environment that is a university, then you should be trying to find the most effective ways to perform in that environment rather than trying to force the shit you already do to be accepted and you still get the rewards. That's fucking fantasy. I I, I don't understand it. I mean, the the Jewish culture has a very specific view on finance. How about we just look at that and go, hey, maybe that's a good idea because the results seem to be pretty fucking proven. Having nothing to do with where someone was born or the genetics or any of that shit, it just so happens that people in the Jewish community have conversations that us white folks don't have at the dinner table, that black folks don't have at the dinner table, on average, of course. Um, So why don't we look at those conversations and say, shit, maybe we should emulate that. 
And I yeah. can almost guarantee you're gonna see the results because it has nothing to do with any individual, has nothing to do with genetics. It's what you do is going to affect the results. So emulate what works. In that sense, it's very fucking simple. The one caveat I would add is that if you're going to use school as an example, go to school and you decide to butt heads with the culture of the school, because there are times when it's actually necessary to butt heads with social, with culture. Oh, yeah. And, um, and so I, I would add in necessary. there, that is part of when a college is theoretically supposed to be teaching you how to think, not what to think. Correct. Part of correct. how to think is knowing when to, to butt heads and, and work yeah. that out. That's very valuable. So the caveat I would add is that if and when you do do that, that you should not expect what it is that you're saying, which is that it'll just be okay. You should expect resistance. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's, that's part and parcel of it is part and parcel of it is that you butt heads with the prevailing wisdom and you should get resistance. Um, a lot of, I mean, even the individuals who you know make up the woke ideological left, um, mention, talk about resistance all the time. And that's one of the things where they're actually correct. It's like they, they should expect resistance. They're, they're literally pushing up against like American culture and they're trying to dismantle it. Some are and, and do other things, but of course they should expect resistance. We're not just going to, those of us who don't want that dismantle are just going to give it to them. It's like, so yeah, you, you have to be able to expect resistance. What I, what I think happens is people go and they want to do what they want to do and they get the resistance and then they get hurt over it. And they're like, this is not right. This is wrong. I should be able to do what I want. And, um, and then this is going to, I don't want to delve too much into this because this actually gets into an issue with free speech, but, um, which isn't really the scope of our conversation here, but um, I, I think that they're, they're separate things. Like you, you should expect to get resistance when you voice your opinions and how you think things should run. You do not just get to say things that you want and people have to listen. It doesn't work that way. You have the right to say what you want, provided it doesn't break a few of the laws that we have, but you don't have the right to force people to listen to you. You know, and so, um, you know, but you do that at your own risk, right? You, you, you go into college and say, I'm going to try and do my own way in college, even though my way isn't the college way. You should go into that knowing it's going to be an uphill battle. You don't get pushed out of it and say, oh, let, you know, the world sucks. Life's hard. It's like, well, yeah, life's hard. Maybe next time you should go in with different expectations. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, that, that's the whole thing. It's like if you – jujitsu example. If you walk into jujitsu your first day and you're like, I have a black belt in karate. I'm going to do karate. And everyone in jiu-jitsu is like, what the fuck are you doing? And you're like, you guys are all racist. Yeah. Or something. You, know, yeah. you guys are discriminatory against karate people. It's like, And they get mad no, when they get choked doing, out. <laughs> and they don't want to yeah, learn the like, no, defense. We're fucking doing, yeah. It's like we're doing jiu-jitsu. Like, yeah. You can try your karate shit. And if it works, maybe we'll change our ways. If you come in here and you successfully beat us up and we can't do jiu-jitsu, maybe we'll incorporate some of what you're doing. Yeah. Like, I mean, th this is the literal uh, evolution of MMA, right? Yeah, exactly. That's that's the actual evolution is Hoist Gracie came in and did jujitsu against all these, you know, huge men doing other things. And then everyone started to learn jujitsu. And then slowly but surely wrestlers came in, kickboxers came in, Muay Thai guys came in and started fucking everyone up with their stand-up game, boxers and stuff. And now jujitsu isn't really the main thing that people do in, in MMA. It's wrestling and boxing. Yep. 
right? And so, but you have, you have you can't just go in and say, well, you guys aren't doing what I'm doing, so you guys saw, you guys are all wrong. It's like, how dare you? Like, I'm. It's like no, it doesn't work that way. You got to you got to come in and prove it. Well, it's, um, life is based on empirical results and evidence. Yeah. It, did it work? Yes or no? Go forward with that information and make adjustments as needed. Yeah. Um, I yeah. have a interesting theory that just popped into my head. Um, I don't know necessarily how to solve this, though I could see an idea for how to solve it, though I don't like the idea. <laughs> oh, um, I'm excited now. So the vast majority of high-paying American sports, <clears throat> men's sports, um, are occupied by black men. So basketball and football are mostly black. Mm-hmm. Um, and baseball players make good money, but they're not near, near not near as many of them are, 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 are African-American. Um, and so... You could ask a question like, well, are blacks more athletically gifted, like genetically? And apparently the of the studies that have been done, the answer to that question is actually just no. There, there's not really any difference. It's the same as anyone else. Maybe like height differences on average, depending on where you're born and stuff. I thought um, there Asians was like some, some bone density. I thought there were some empirical results that lean in. The, From in what the I understand... From what I understand, the uh, and I don't know this too well, so maybe if there's anyone who's listening who does know this, they can like let us know. My understanding is that please point the, to references the, though, show us some data. Yeah, yeah, because like <laughs> I, I really just don't know. But my understanding is that of the the studies that have been done over time, um, the actual data wasn't it wasn't uh, reproducible. Hmm. Okay. I don't think you could, so, you could even do a study like that now. Yeah, not in this cultural environment. And so there's certain there's some evidence apparently that um, that uh, it's not really an athletic issue, but that that um, African Americans are uh, they have like higher natural sodium intake in their blood than other uh, ethnicities because I think it might be in part because of dealing with salt water coming over from the Atlantic ocean. I don't know the validity of this actual mm. study, but that's the one that comes into my mind is that they're, they're, they're more, which may account for why they are more likely to have di- get diabetes as an example. Um, and I, I'm fumbling up exactly how that, that hypothesis breaks down, but um, that's the one that sticks in my mind. There is a couple of different um, cities slash tribes in, uh, in Africa where um, almost all of the marathon runners are produced. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I believe it's a small reason, town in Kenya, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and Kenya specifically and a town, not just Kenya. It's a town, a little it, town. And it's like, yeah. yeah, and it's like all of them. And, um, and so there, I, I think that there is some evidence that they've seen some genetic changes in how their, um, like their skeletal makeup, but they also run a lot naturally. Yeah. Too. Like that's part of it. Um, and there's been other differences outside of like Africa. Um, there's a, like a, like a tribe in the Caribbean that um, their spleen is like two and a half times larger than everyone else's in the world. And as a result, they can hold They think it's an evolutionary trait because they, they dive for fish. That's what they do. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so they can hold their breaths for like 15 minutes long. Yeah. And so an outgrowth of that over generations was that their spleens grew because you need your spleen as part of what um, uh, 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 helps like oxygenate your, or it helps with your the oxygen in your body and your, cleans out your blood, whatever it does. It does something important for holding <laughs> your breath underwater. I don't know. And um, so th- there are differences, but they're like small and they're not like population level. And so as I understand it, there isn't really much difference. And yet you see an outsized proportion of African-Americans doing basketball and football. It's like, why is that? Um, 
my hypothesis is it's if you take into account the fact that in America, African-Americans are um, economically way more disadvantaged, that's where all the money is. Like yeah. the, that's just where the money is. So if they work way harder than everyone else at those things and they get there, they will make more money. They can get out of their disadvantaged positions. There, there's no money in getting a PhD. There's very little money and it's hard. And if you're historically not getting into colleges, say because of your color, because that's actually been a thing, then the, the risk reward there isn't it, it, like the risk reward is isn't as good. So it would seem to me that my hypothesis is that, OK, if what I'm saying there is in some part true, then if you want to get the economic or the, the, the education disparities fixed, you need to be able to provide or have a way for an incentive for higher paying jobs coming out of college so that people of color will go to college and then get a better job than they would otherwise get. That seems feasible. Yeah. But how do you do that without, and this is the idea that I don't necessarily like, how do you do that without specifically giving high paying jobs only to people of color? You fix the neighborhoods. Like, like Rogan has yeah. said many, many times, we just need less losers. And that means we, <laughs> seriously, yeah. it means we address it at a class level, not a fucking race level. Of course, there's yes. overlap. So it's going to appear that we are, uh, you know, pointing this at the race level. But it, you do it at the class level yep. where these financial disadvantages are keeping intelligent people, hardworking people out of the system and therefore not adding value to the country and also the tax base. Let's get real. Um, you get somebody yes. a better job, they're paying more taxes. That ultimately is better for everybody, at least in theory. Um, yeah. So if money was poured into these communities where it really truly is the case, either you're, you know, you're making three pointers or you're slinging rock and those are your only two ways out of the hood. I mean, that is the real existence for a lot of fucking people. So we need to create more opportunities for those communities. I'm not talking about writing checks to individuals, but I'm talking, you know, building community centers, having them run by, you know, passionate and qualified people, that type of thing, actually help people. Um, and it's not going to be overnight. Um, you know, this generation is probably not going to see all that much of the help, but we're fixing it for the future so it doesn't get worse, you know, all these things. I, I think that's the direction that people need to be looking. And yet, over the last few years, we, we our, our, direct, our, our attention is forced away from that kind of thing, and the social pressures make us only look at the race divide, which, yeah. it, you know, it's inaccurate and ineffective and unfortunate. Yeah. No, very true. It's uh, I, I've actually never heard anyone in the media who has stated emphatically that they don't believe that there is issue. There's like divides between races, like that. There's disparities. Even people who are like vehemently against whatever it is that's coming out of the the far left, they don't ever say everything is exactly equal. Like you're you're these are fictions. What they say is something along the lines of, we have the most equal system A, that's ever been produced. That's actually quite common one, which is, from what I understand, is true. But they say that, you know, 
we've done as much as we can to make things equal. There are disparities. We need to talk about how to fix them. It's about how to fix them. Yes. Not saying that they don't exist. And, and, and to, to, to break it down to simply as simple as one attribute or one problem, it's not a multivariate problem. Like I mentioned, you know, an hour ago with the wage gap, it's like it's the wage gap is not a multivariate problem. Or it's, it's not a, a monovariate problem. It's a multivariate problem. Yeah. There's like a dozen, two dozen, three dozen different reasons why there's any kind of discrepancy, right? And so that's that. Those things need to be talked about. Like I've never heard anyone go through and say, you know, why isn't everyone up in arms that Asian men make more than everyone else? Like that should be the real problem because that's the actual wage gap. Is that for every dollar an Asian man makes, like everyone else makes like half or a third or a quarter of that. So it's like, why isn't that a problem? It's because he looks different, so it must like, be that. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like you know, because a lot of people don't like whites, and so and fair enough. But um, that isn't how you solve these problems. You know, um, you, you try and tackle. You, first, you got to identify the fact that there's multiple problems, and then you slowly but surely say, okay, well, how can we fix? I think community is a great place to start. I grew up in a poor neighborhood. And there were not a, like there were not black people in my neighborhood. I grew up in a town where there's not a lot of black people. I grew up in a very, very poor town, or decently poor town, um, where there was a l lot of methamphetamine, a lot of, you know, a lot of crystal, a lot of, uh, a lot of pills. Pills got, became, uh, very popular as I started to leave, but, um, hillbilly heroin. Is, yeah. Yeah. yeah meth and heroin is actually getting worse now in my hometown. And it's like, I know what it's like to live in a very poor, very uneducated um, white town. And I don't, it's from what I understand, it's not that much different. So let me ask you Rampant this. Crime. What do you think your experience would have been if that community had some money put into it, maybe a community center with qualified people running it? And let's say um, a couple field trips a year to take you out of that fucking small town and experience, you know, maybe like New York or maybe even go abroad, something that would seem absolutely yeah. fucking impossible when you're poor like that. And I, you know, grew up the same way. There's no way I'm fucking traveling anywhere. Vacation? What is this vacation shit people talk about? Like that wasn't even our vocabulary. But to get, yeah, yeah. and, it, but I, I know that, you know, later on in life, I had these opportunities, you know, went to Thailand and, and, just seeing different cultures in general, the impact that that has on a person is fucking profound. So if you just yeah. had a safe space to go hang out, so you're not, you know, stuck on the streets with people trying to give you pills, but you can go hang out and maybe do some athletics, YMCA style or something in that neighborhood. And then also have the opportunity to experience other cultures, to do a little bit of travel. I mean, tell me that wouldn't be huge for that small community. Yeah. Yeah, no, very true. Um, I uh, I read an article. There was this. Uh, he was an anonymous donor, um, but he wanted to the the number of um, at the local high school. I think he might have went to the high school, and I forget what city it was in. But uh, I, pardon me, I didn't uh, save the article because I didn't think we were going to talk about it today. But um, basically, what he noticed is the number of black football players at the high school at this high school that got scholarships to go to colleges was incredibly low and he couldn't figure out why because it was a good number of scholarships that were available and most of the football team was black and so he designed and he called the school and was like i would like to anonymously um set up a bunch of scholarships 
And the basic gist of his scholarship was this, is for every semester in high school that um, these football players got straight A's, he would pay for a semester of college. Mm. Yeah. That was his thing. Yeah, I like it. And I think before that, like one person or something had gotten like a scholarship or something um, in the last like year. And after a couple of years, something like 14 or like a pretty large number of the students had actually had at least one semester paid for. And a few of them had a full, like a couple of years. See, these are good incentives. Yeah. yeah. And, it, you know, and, and the kids were like, you know, I, I got okay grades, but I was doing football. And like, he's like, one, one of the guys, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but one of the students was like, you know, this is a challenge for me. He's like, I never would have thought in a million years that I could do something like this, but like, I want to do something with my life. And this is like, I want to see if I can do this. And he's like, and then I did it. And it's like, now I don't want to not do it. And so that's the kind of motivation that would, that would help me personally. Like what I would have really liked is something like that yeah. personally. Um, be, that, that would have, I like those kinds of incentives where people are like, Hey, if you think you can do this, you're going to need to work hard, but you can do it. Um, and then I'll, and I'll go and do it. Especially if I have someone who's like, you can't do that. <laughs> You know, I'm like a hold my beer mentality, sure, right? Yeah. It's like, hold my beer. I'll fucking go do this. You know, fuck you. Um, you know, and so uh, I told this before on the podcast, but um, my first job, my boss uh, out of college, my boss, uh, he, instead of firing me for for not doing very well, I was paid commission only. So he was like, mm -hmm. he basically sat me down. He's like, I don't think his job is for you. So maybe you should look elsewhere. <laughs> but it's like, it's not, it's not really harmful for him to 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 keep me because he's not paying me much. I'm just yeah. there. Yeah. And so, but he also didn't like to fire people. So that's what he would do. He would basically like kind of nudge you to the door and then you would make the decision. And part of that was so he didn't have to pay unemployment. Yep. <laughs> and, um, cause he's, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> and like, and I was fucking furious. And I basically just held on to rage for like nine months and figured out how to, how to do the job. And I never told him. I always wanted to. But I remember the first time I did really well. I, I did very good. I had a very good salesman. I beat everyone else in the office, including like the number one salesman who was in our office. who was very, very good. And I, I just wanted to go into his office and be like, hey, go fuck yourself. <laughs> like I did it, <laughs> bitch. You know, like it just be like, fuck you. And I never did. I just kept it inside. And it's always been one of those moments where I was like really proud because he basically was like, I don't think you have you're cut out for this. And I was like, fuck you. I'm cut out for this. I can do this. Success is the um, best revenge. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then I moved on and got paid, got paid more money elsewhere and stuff. But I think that for me, that would have helped. I, I personally would have really liked somebody or multiple peoples who had an intimate knowledge of um, A, what college was actually like, and B, how to apply for scholarships. And yeah. the other thing was SAT prep. There was no SAT prep. I would love unpaid SAT prep, like or free SAT prep, sorry. Um, you could pay to go do it, but I didn't have any money. So I had to study on my own. Yeah. And like that was hard. Had I had someone to prep me for it, I would have done way better. Probably could have gotten to a better college. I might have applied somewhere else. Honestly, had I done better, um, I knew I could do good. Hopefully, do good enough to get into U, the UW, so I didn't apply anywhere else. But um, like that's the that's one of the biggest differences for the SATs, which you can rail against the SATs all you want, but it is one of the biggest predictors of success, at least in the first year in college. It's a huge predictor of first year success in college, and uh, apparently, and so it's like people who do well on the SATs, they're smart, but they have the resources. Like they're, 
proportionally, there are an equal number of very, very intelligent people in minority communities as there are in the white community. Yes. Like, yes. relative to population. Right. There's less of them because there's less people just naturally. But they don't the do as well on The distribution curve of intelligence yeah. is equal regardless of race. Across, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. And so um, it's one of the, it's the preparation for those kinds of tests that's the problem. In poor schools, and my school was decently funded because it was the only high school in, in my city. Um, and so it was a big uh, 2,000, 2,200 kids, that kind of thing. Mm. It was pretty big, but um, still it wasn't, it's a poorly funded county. And so there wasn't a lot of prep for this kind of stuff. And so had there been like, it, it's, it's hard to, it'd be hard for me to estimate like how much better poor schools, how, how many more kids would go to college if poor schools had free SAT prep, Yeah, you know, however that may be, or maybe it's, maybe that's just part of the taxpayer dollars that are used in the area that, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like, there's small things you could do that would just simply increase that, that alone would increase collegiate access, which after a couple of years would then tell all the other young kids that you could, if you can get into college too. Because if, if you're a freshman and you only see seniors in high school who don't go to college, like, do you really know if you can too? Like, you know, do you look up to these people to some degree? You don't know them very well, usually, because um, the, the the age discrepancy and, and whatnot, people have their clicks. But it's like, those are small things that could be done. And they might cost a little bit of money, but I'm more, I'm happy to put more money into education, provided it's going towards these kinds of programs that are actively getting people, um, not necessarily just into college, but um, through high school and, and into educational programs that will help them throughout the course of their life. Even if that's just to get them into tech colleges where they can learn how to be electricians, they can learn how to be mechanics. Dude, yeah, learn in, the in trades. I think that's very um, yeah, undersold Or get them right into now. apprenticeship. Yeah, get them into apprenticeships and stuff. It's like, um, you know, we have this problem of we have over we overeducate on some level and then we have undereducated people on another level and everyone's complaining about how much they're making. But what no one seems to be asking is like, well, how that like we have to work. You can't just not work. That actually <laughs> isn't a way to have a viable society. Right. Like there has to be jobs. Jobs have to be done. And so we have to delineate between those jobs and how they how you get paid. Um if you want to make the minimum wage $15 an hour to do remedial level freshman high freshman year at high school level work that's fine if everything else is also increased to account for higher levels of abstract thinking and arithmetic and problem solving whatever it's like you, you need to be able to afford that shit though and then you need people to be educated enough to do it and then you need to not over educate everyone you know um 10 of the population has an iq below 85 right which is about what forrest gump's iq was yeah. in the movie forrest gump and I, I, I have a hard time finding the data on this, but apparently you can't get into the U.S. military if your IQ is under 85 because there's nothing you could do that would actually be productive. There's no job you could do that wouldn't be counterproductive, right. which means that 10% of the population couldn't even get into the military, which is the number one economic um, uh, equalizer. Or, um, it's the number, number one economic ladder for the poor in the U.S. Because mm. we'll get you from the poor to at least the working class. Because you get marketable skills in the military that you can use in the real world when you get out. You learn something, you can go into the real world and get a job. So you have 10% of the population who is fucked 
as we get more technologically advanced, they're just fucked. So what do you do there? I think we have that same problem with overeducated um, fuckheads, as James Lindsay <laughs> calls them. Like you, you have a similar problem with people who are overeducated and don't have jobs and are upset about it all. And so they're in a similar situation where they're not really hireable because they're not willing to do jobs that are quote unquote beneath them. Right. And in some ways they are beneath them, but in some ways you kind of just got to suck it up and do a job. I think there's, and, there's a couple important differences with that analogy or that comparison. Oh, hundred percent. Yes. Um, yes. I mean, if, if, if you got a low IQ, um, maybe some developmental disabilities or, or what have you, yes. uh, that's, that's a different story versus, you know, you're plenty fucking smart. You just got sold a bill of goods, so you don't have any good jobs yeah. waiting for you. Obviously, the solutions are going to be different for that. I think a critical, an absolutely critical uh, piece of this puzzle with the um, unbalanced distribution of funds when it comes to education, uh, and I only recently learned this as part of our ongoing discussion, but the, the tax base distribution of funds for schools Meaning like, you know, good neighborhoods, uh, uh, they have more rich families in them. Therefore, they're paying more taxes. Therefore, there is more money to go into that school. So good neighborhoods have good schools. Bad yeah. neighborhoods have bad schools. And it's a self-perpetuating situation. And until yes. that gets balanced out, I don't see how you could possibly fucking fix this. I mean, we're talking about putting money into communities and into schools and things like that. Well, that money's got to come from somewhere. And clearly it's not going to come from the local tax base. They're already fucking poor. We're trying to fix that. So if there was yep. a way to balance that out, uh, I think that would be one of the first and most important steps of, of actually solving this problem. Now, there's absolutely no incentive to do that whatsoever. I mean, you, you think fucking rich families that actually have political power or they have pull with the amount of money they can donate to this or that, there's no way they're going to want less money going to their kids' schools, even though they're paying the same amount of taxes, right? So that's going to yeah. be an uphill climb from jump and, and may not be anywhere close to the Overton window, window and, and, you know, reasonably possible. But I think that is at the core of what's necessary to even think about actually fixing the educational problem. Yeah. I think, um, from my understanding, it's a very limited understanding, but I believe that an argument that is made or a proposal to solve part, at least partially solve this problem is the notion of charter schools. Okay. I don't, I don't allow, know much about charter schools. What's the basis of the charter school? As I understand it, the basis of a charter school is, um, a system is that you're you basically apply to go to a charter school and it, it can be outside of the district you live in okay and charter schools have private funding so it's not like a it's kind of like a private school i guess I, i'm probably fucking this up so anyone who's listening who knows um you, you uh, and maybe we can even just clarify this at, at, at our next podcast just at the top but um basically as i understand it is it's a hybrid between a public and a private school where you apply to get in um and it allows you to move outside of your district to go to a better funded um a safe you know, better funded school um but you pay to go okay it's it, it's so they, the so kids have to pay to go or their parents yeah, so but, it, yeah okay it, yeah 
it partially solves the problem because it does allow families that can, who are in certain neighborhoods, move out of um, bad public schools into a charter school that will provide better education. The problem, obviously, is, is the pay. Now, th- there is a way to get subsidies and to get scholarships and stuff and, 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 and the like, um, but... Uh, so it does function uh, fairly similarly to a, a private school like that. But I, I think with private schools, I don't think that there's subsidies. I think it's just you, you have to pay a period. Uh, I think that the whole school is like funded by the the, the students who pay. Okay. So a charter um, school, you got to pay, but you're not paying everything like you would yeah. in a private school. Correct. Okay. Yes. And okay. so, um, and like I said, I don't know too much about them either. What I do know um, is that not only is the Teachers Union of America, like the head union of teachers in the country vehemently against this and they have been for a long time but so is blm based on what black lives matter what what, what are their reasons um, uh i can't remember the reasons why but i do know that they are against it and um i for whatever reason they feel like it's bad for poor communities um but it's the only way for poor minority members of poor minority communities to actually have better education because of what you said. Um, and in fact, uh, and maybe I can link this in the show notes, I'll, f- I'll find the article again. Um, there was a former founder of a BLM chapter, I believe in uh, uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, he founded the BLM chapter there um, a couple of years ago, and he actually recently resigned and left and came out and s- talked about what he called the ugly truth. And part of the ugly truth was that he criticized them for not wanting to help poor black families in part because they don't like charter schools. He's like, look, we have poor black families that you clearly don't want to have help. You're not putting any of your funding towards them and you're pulling charter schools from the area. So kids that can go, who can get in because they're intelligent, you know, they, they, they pass the test to get in all this kind of stuff. They're not able to go because you don't want them to. Um, it's fucking I don't know a lot about this issue, <laughs> yeah. but what I do know is that and Brett Weinstein talks about this quite a bit, actually. Um, I think he's talked a bit about, or maybe it's his brother, Eric, who's talked about this, about how charter schools are one of those ways where it, it doesn't solve the full problem because there's just people who are poor who can't afford to do this, or they, they can't drive their kids two hours out of the way or have them take a bus two hours each way. Like, you know, there, there's, there, there are some legitimate issues that this can't solve, but it does solve some of the problems and it does allow, allow kids who can to go to better schools. Um, well, how about this, that I think, Patrice Colors, instead of spending millions of dollars on real estate sponsor some kids to go to a good school yeah uh, um, yeah there are other obviously there the problems you talk about with property taxes that's a tough one um without taxing more people or taxing wealthy people um it's hard. anonymous donations but or just donations in general could could be a thing but that you need sustained money um like it's hard oh yeah it's you know, it's a difficult problem to solve. Uh, taxing the rich is always a good idea in principle, you know, because they have so much money. Right. And so it's like maybe you just take 1% or whatever and then. Well, we can maybe just start. Just start. We'll see what happens. Maybe tax Amazon. Don't let them get away with this offshore bullshit. Let's just get rid of offshore bullshit and see they how much money we have to play with. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. It, and it's, I, it's, I, it, I get that you know the, it, it's it's disincentivizes business and and this that and the other. However, allowing those type of loop, loopholes, um, it 
it gives a false indicator of the actual value of the work being done. It's very similar to, well, it's this is is very, very similar to the uh, food production, like fast food, things like uh, corn subsidies, soybean subsidies. They make food prices artificially low, which has a bunch of ripple effects that are hard to see, but once you parse it all out, it really fucks things up. It's the same kind of thing. It's like, oh, well, we have to pay these taxes, then we're not going to want to do the business, or we're gonna, we won't be able to pay our people as much, and all this other shit. Well, yeah, you've been getting away with a fucking loophole. So you need to readjust your business strategy so that you're not fucking the American tax base, and then figure it mm-hmm. out from there. Like you're pissed off because you were breaking the rules, got caught, and now you're saying you're not doing as well because you can't break the rules. No shit. That shouldn't have been part of your business plan. God damn. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, no more offshore bullshit. Start there. Yeah, and no more overinflated educators or bourgeois bourgeois educated peoples. Because that's, you know, back to our original complaint at the top of the, the podcast. Like that's in my analogy between like people with low IQ and people who are over overeducated and can't get jobs. The the purpose for the analogy was to point out that they're both at the moment fucked. Yeah. Because there's no there's no work. Yeah. And there's differing reasons why. But I, I see a similar parallel in that like how do you how do you help these people? And because you have a large number of people with masters and PhDs who feel entitled to certain kinds of work and there's not enough work for them to have. And of course they're fucking angry. Now, you can argue all you want that they should grow up, which I think is partially true. They should not be so snobbish, which I think is definitely partially true. And sometimes you just need to start at the bottom and work your way up, which I think in, in some some respects is actually also true. But these are also people who've wasted 16 years, 20 years of their life. Yeah. Well, I think that it's, and it's like they have literally nothing to show for it. And the the whole society that told them to do this so that they could actually function in the society is was basically like, ha just kidding. Yeah. I, I think there, there'd be something to said, uh, something to be said as well for the concept of, um, the world doesn't owe you shit. Not yes. a fucking thing. There are opportunities that you can go chase down and you can put yourself in a position to deserve things. Um, you can, you can gain things undeservedly. That's kind of part of it, but from jump, nobody owes you shit. Yep. So just because you made the decision to spend, uh, you know, eight, 10, 12 years in school, that was a gamble. That's not a guarantee. Now, hopefully it was a very well-educated gamble and it's going to work out. Yes. But it's not a guarantee. You got to know it's not a guarantee. Come on. I know, but the problem is that this discontent was so to birth when they were told that this sort of stuff would help them out. And then now we're not left with an uneducated, unarmed, working class people who would have a hard time organizing and putting together a revolt or armed with the smartest fucking people in our culture. Or at least the some of them are going to be the smartest people. Some of them are going to be the dumbest of the smart people. 
but still smart. Because like I think a lot of the people who were upset is they they just couldn't hack it because they didn't work hard enough and they weren't as smart. But we're talking about the the dumb smart people, the people that are smarter than basically everyone else, or at least you know like eighty percent of the population. But they felt a little too entitled and didn't want to work hard enough and just weren't quite smart enough to to get to the upper echelon. And so, like these are not dumb people who are really fucking angry and know a lot of shit. And these are the same people that control our culture. Yeah. Which is a whole another issue that we've spent a lot of the podcast talking about. And so the people who are angler, the people who actually have the power of our culture, they're, they're the ones who produce our culture right now. And so like you're seeing the manifestation of that resentment, I think, in, in part with um, the issues that the what the fuck issues that we've been seeing for the last like five years. And so it's. Um, they were smart enough to read marks, but too fucking dumb to see where he missed the mark. Basically, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> so moral of the story, kids. Don't go to college. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> At least not right now. I, I, I cannot in good conscience recommend anyone go to college right now. If you can find a good trade school that's, you know, something that you enjoy doing, I think that's going to be a much more, um, or you'll have a much higher likelihood of yeah. having a, a successful career after that. Because find a, or, or find a business mentor and yeah. job shadow them yes. for, all of your teens and into your twenties. Yeah, you don't. And just work your. You don't need to go to college to start a business. No, it's going to be hard. No, it, so is college. So you're you're going to have to deal with hard. You're going to get dumped on your face. That that's all part of it. Um, just stick with it, and yeah, yeah. Obviously, I'm more in an entrepreneurial mindset, but yeah, yeah the university system right now is not recommendable which is really fucking unfortunate because they were, I mean, you know, the, the traditional educational system fucking back to Socrates was such a beautiful thing. Yep. I mean, the, the, you know, a large chunk of humanity coming together to work on really difficult ideas and to test those ideas in ways that produce results and those results then helping all of humanity that's a fucking beautiful thing. I mean, that's that's humanity at its best. That's what that's what brought us out of the trees. We figured out fire. We figured out tools. Mm -hmm. Keep figuring. It's it's a beautiful process, and it's what makes human beings special. But we're fucking it up right Agreed. now. And it's a sad thing. On that note, <laughs> yeah, that was a good end. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I say we call it. Yeah, let's call it. Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode forty-one where we made fun of and talked about the dilemma of overeducated whiners and complainers. And, you know, I will, I will call back as we're, as we're dogging on the university system, I'm going to call back to goodwill hunting. Why would you spend hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars on a career for educate or on an education that you can get for a dollar 50 in late fees from the public library and we'll Boom. modernize that for fucking free on your phone. So yep. the information's out there. The educational system is not doing anybody really any good right now. So go no, educate yourself. Go start a business if you feel inclined. And, uh, yeah. Take make some a go risks. Of it. Go take some risks. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Have a good rest of the morning, afternoon, and evening. Peace. Take care, everybody.